assured of the promise of the gospel every week as we have confessed our sins, God also promises us to forgive us our sins and to wash us clean in the blood of Christ. And that's our hope and our only comfort as we come to worship Him this morning. Let's now open the Word of God that He would teach us from His Word. Our scripture reading comes from Second Kings. Second Kings chapters 18 and 19. If it feels like a long reading, if there's any consolation to it, I did uh, adjust the size of the sermon to, to compensate. Uh, but it is one text uh, and should be treated as, as one text. So Second Kings 18 and 19. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David his father had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory from watchtower to fortified city. In the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. And at the end of three years, he took it. In the sixth year of Hezekiah, which was the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. The king of Assyria carried the Israelites away to Assyria and put them in Hala and on the Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, even all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded. They neither listened nor obeyed. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, three hundred talents of silver and thirty talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. And at that time Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorposts that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to king Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there there came out to them Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. 
And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting now in Egypt that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it, such as Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, We trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, You shall now worship before this altar in Jerusalem? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you two thousand horses, if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How, can, how then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants, when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? Moreover, is it, not with, it, it, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, Go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and Shebna and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said to them, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and to drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, Make your peace with me, and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine, and each one of, each one of his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern, until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vine, vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, The Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim, Hena, and Eva? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand, that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But the people were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, Do not answer him. Then Eliakim the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shibna the secretary, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes, and covered himself with sackcloth, and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shibna the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth, to the prophet Isaiah the son of Amos. They said to him, Thus says Hezekiah, This day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God heard all the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, 
Do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which, the king, which, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard that the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Tir- Tirhakah, the king of Cush, Behold, he has set out to fight against you. So he sent messengers again to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezeph, and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hannah, or the king of Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the, of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Then Isaiah the son of Amos sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Your prayer to me about Sennacherib, king of Assyria, I have heard. This is the word the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you, she scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your messengers you have mocked the Lord, and you have said, With many chariots I have gone up the heights of the mountains to the far recesses of Lebanon. I felled its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses. I entered its furthest lodging place, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank foreign waters, and I dried up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should turn fortified cities into into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like the plants of the field, and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. But I know you're sitting down, and you're going out, and coming in, and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me, and your complacency has come into my ears, I will put my hook in your nose, and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year, eat what grows of itself, and in the second year, what springs are the same. Then in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards, and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall shall again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord will do this.
Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come up into this city, or shoot an arrow there, or come before it with a shield, or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return, and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord. For I will defend this city to save it for my own sake, and for the sake of my servant David. And that night... The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib king of Assyria departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch his god, Adramelech and Sherezer his sons struck him down with the sword and escaped into the land of Ararat. And Irsahaddon his son reigned in his place." So far, the reading of the word of the Lord. As we reflect on what we've just read, let's sing together from Psalm 2, stanzas 1 and 2. The text to which we'll be giving our attention is the same that we have read, 2 Kings 18 and 19. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as you can imagine, there is much that could be said of these two chapters. Uh, indeed, much more than possibly could be said in any one sermon. Uh, particularly if we were to plumb the, the depths of each of these chapters, some of the things that are said and the ways that God responds to them, uh, there are profound lessons to be learned from that. But we can't do all that this morning. Uh, instead, what we want to do uh, as we look at these two chapters as a whole is take a step back, uh, take a bit of a, a bird's eye view, so to speak, of these two chapters and consider what does God teach us by these events and by what transpired on those days? Uh, why are these events recorded in Scripture for us? Uh, to begin with, there is the life of Hezekiah. I hope and I trust that uh, there, there was something uh, sweet and refreshing for you as you uh, read the first words of, of 2 Kings 18 uh, and, and discover this man, Hezekiah. Uh, chapter 18, verse 3 says, Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Uh, what a sweet verse that is to read after chapter upon chapter upon chapter of miserable failure. Uh, there, there have been a, a few sort of good kings in the past, uh, but every time uh, the evaluation of, of their reigns would go something like, uh, they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but not with all their heart. And then it would begin to describe the things that they failed to do. Uh, here it says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Uh, I, I trust those are, are, are precious words to read at this late stage in the book of Kings. Uh, I, I know this, uh, this can sometimes feel like ancient history as we work our way through the kings. It feels detached and, and distant from us. Uh, but, but if we've been walking this journey well, uh, recognizing that the failures we see on display are the failures of our own nature, the failures of our own hearts, the things that we ourselves would do, uh, then it ought to be sweet and refreshing to know that there is still such a thing as the faith 
of David. The faith that God inspires, uh, that God also approves. Uh, when, when, When it makes that mention to David, it wants to call our minds back to what was the heart of David like? You know, the David that said, the Lord is my shepherd. Or the David that said, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that I might dwell in his temple uh, all the days of my life. That's now the kind of faith we once again have the privilege of witnessing in in Hezekiah. Uh, So if you have been uh, walking this journey well, uh, laying your own heart bare before the Lord, recognizing these failures are my failures, uh, then you can also appreciate what a gift it is to meet someone like Hezekiah. I hope you also felt a a similar sense of relief when you uh, read about the life of Hezekiah and the things that he did that stand out from those who came before. I think especially of verse 4. It says, He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. How many times have we read of the kings of Judah that failed on that point to remove the high places? Indeed, it's the most common refrain for every one of the kings of Judah. Uh, that, that even those that did right, they failed to remove the high places. Now, uh, in case you've forgotten, the high places, these are those, those, those are uh, private shrines that were set up all over the land of, of Judah uh, that allowed the people to worship God in their own way according to their own imaginations. They were forbidden, strictly forbidden by God, but extremely popular in Judah. So we can appreciate how hard it would have been for a king, how much uh, political capital it would have cost a king to say, I'm going to remove these high places from the land. And so we see the cowardice of the kings, one after another, failing to act on that point. Well, Hezekiah has the high places removed. Again, we have the heart of David on display. Now, here's a king who cares what God actually says and who wants to be ruled by God's word. And he wants to rule his nation in accordance with God's word. That's a precious gift and one we can just stop and, and, and enjoy that refreshing moment. Uh, the, the rest of the verses 1 through 7 testify to, to the same sorts of things uh, that he broke in pieces, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Uh, apparently the people of Israel were starting to worship that bronze serpent and so Hezekiah recognized this is no longer appropriate in Israel, so he destroyed that. Uh, He held a fast to the Lord, uh, and it says he did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord God had commanded Moses. Uh, So we want to just begin this this sermon uh, with a grateful heart to God, even though we are removed from this chapter by many, many centuries, just to stop and be grateful that God does raise up kings like Hezekiah. It's not all bad. There are good kings that God uh, raises up. Uh, Having said that, then uh, the first point that we should make as we reflect on the life of Hezekiah uh, is that having that kind of heart, like the heart of David, is no guarantee of an easy life. A righteous heart does not guarantee an easy life. Now, on the one hand, there, there is real blessing that is attached to a life of faith. And you see that in this chapter as well. You look at verse 7. The Lord was with him. Wherever he went out, he prospered. 
So God did bless him. God does promise that, to bless and prosper those who fear him. But that does not mean that their lives will be without suffering. It means that God will bless them in the suffering, through sometimes the suffering. And it's certainly true, of course, that the, the fear of God in the heart of man does, does create a straight path that avoids many, many pitfalls. But, but it does not mean that you'll be free from trouble in this life. Uh, in this broken world, uh, we will face not only the, the, the consequences of our own sins and our own immaturities, all of us have those, uh, but we also share in the consequences and the misery that follows from the sins of others around us. And that's what we see in the life of Hezekiah. Uh, even though God prospered him, and in a very real sense, God, God blessed him, uh, he also experienced tremendous suffering. Uh, there is, first of all, the, the consequences of, of the, the decisions of his father Ahaz that Hezekiah had to live with. Uh, if you remember, it was Ahaz who got Judah involved with Assyria in the first place. And most of Hezekiah's suffering comes as a result of that decision of his father. Uh, if you remember a few weeks ago when we spoke of, of uh, what, what was it like to negotiate with Assyria, uh, and I made the comparison as something like working with the Italian mafia. Uh, they're good at getting rid of your local enemies, but once you get them on your side, once you get their attention, uh, there is no way you're ever going to get out of that relationship. You'll never be done paying that debt. Uh, And that's where Hezekiah, Ahaz's son, now finds himself still paying that debt to Assyria, uh, which has now become just a crippling tribute uh, that that Judah can barely pay. Uh, So Hezekiah inherits the consequences of his father's sins, and that produces the backdrop for this entire story. On top of that, Hezekiah, like any of us, has to deal with his own sins and his own immaturities and his own poor decisions. Uh, For example, Hezekiah's decision to rebel against Assyria. Now, the commentaries are divided over this. Was that a good decision, uh, like a righteous decision, or a bad one? Uh, It was certainly evil for Ahaz, his father, to get involved with Assyria, but was it evil for, or was it the right thing for Hezekiah now to say we're going to step out of that relationship? Or did he just bring more misery on himself for not realizing uh, the situation he was in? Uh, there are some commentaries that say, well, no, Hezekiah was righteous. He, that he did the right thing by, by throwing off the yoke of, of Assyria. Uh, because, you know, as a, God, as a godly king, you shouldn't be involved with Assyria. Well, fair enough. But Hezekiah didn't get himself involved. That was his father's decision. Uh, Hezekiah was left with the decision, do we continue to pay this crippling tribute, which will destroy our own nation, or uh, do we rebel and potentially face something far, far worse? Uh, The Assyrians were well known for their cruelty towards those who rebelled. Uh, there's, There's no neutral response to a nation like Assyria. So it's hard to know what to think of Hezekiah's decision to, uh, to rebel against Assyria, uh, other than to say Hezekiah himself apparently regretted it 
uh, not long afterwards. Uh, with the, Ar- the Assyrian armies, as a, as a response, they invaded Judah, uh, and Hezekiah clearly changed his mind when that happened, and, and we find him later begging Assyria for mercy. Uh, that's in, in uh, 2 Kings 18, verse 14. Uh, we can hopefully all appreciate what, just what a miserable situation this whole thing was for Hezekiah. Uh, no matter what he did, it's a lose-lose situation. Uh, nor, nor is it easy to give a judgment of Hezekiah's decision to strip the gold from the temple. Now, every king that did so before him, that did the same thing, was clearly condemned for it. Uh, But those were also kings who despised the temple, who were worshipping other gods. It's not not exactly the same. Uh, On top of that, this is gold that Hezekiah had himself given to the temple. Uh, It's hard to say, did Hezekiah do the right thing? His motive was to save the temple from being destroyed, and he succeeded uh, in, in doing that. Uh, so, so there's the, the suffering that results from his father's decisions. There's the suffering that results from his own uh, poor decisions. At least he, he concludes they were poor uh, later on. And on top of that, there's the suffering of being the king of a divided people. Uh, Hezekiah had to rule over a people that was divided. Uh, the text is not super explicit about it, but, it, but it's obviously a reality that was there that's played upon by, by the, the Rabshakeh who was sent by the king of Assyria. Uh, he, he plays upon the political tensions that already existed, and he keeps telling the people, don't trust Hezekiah. Now, when we saw the same thing in Israel, uh, in, the, in the northern kingdom, uh, we saw how divided the people were. Some were heavily pro-Assyria. Let's just give them the tribute. Others were heavily anti-Assyria. And there's no, there's no common ground between those positions. You have to go 100% either way. Uh, so it's easy enough to imagine the kind of divisions and anger and hostility that existed in Israel over which Hezekiah had to be king uh, and and tried to to rule. Uh, Notice also how uh, the Rabshakeh uh, plays upon the anger that Judah felt against Hezekiah for removing the high places, uh, that unpopular decision. Uh, Verse 23, the Rabshakeh says, Look, God God is actually mad at you because Hezekiah got rid of the high places. Uh, so that's how some of the people in Israel or Judah were, were now thinking. Uh, this is all Hezekiah's fault for getting rid of these high places. That's what brought all this upon us. Uh, and that, you can only imagine what Hezekiah as king has to go through. His father's sins, his own mistakes, and a divided and hostile people. Well, it's there. It, it's there in the fires of those afflictions that the heart of faith is also refined. And that's the thing that actually shines through this text the most beautifully. Under the afflictions, in the midst of the suffering, suffering that's unimaginable to most of us, we see the heart of faith in Hezekiah that's, that's refined by these same fires and that finds its strength and its purpose in God alone. That's what I want to, to really focus on then this morning. Uh, as I first read, read through the text myself, uh, I found myself just humbled, convicted, encouraged, 
by, by the faith that we see coming from Hezekiah. And I hope that you, you felt a similar reaction. How would you respond uh, hearing a speech like that from the Rabshakeh delivered uh, in the language of your people so they can all hear it as he calls them to abandon you uh, and he blames you for the, the suffering that they were all experiencing? How does Hezekiah respond? He falls on his face before the Lord. Uh, he, he comes before the Lord. He doesn't, you notice, he doesn't resort to the, the sort of political maneuvering that you see in so many other kings trying to negotiate with Assyria, trying to negotiate with the political factions uh, among the people. Instead, he falls before the strong arms of God, the God who has always been his strength before, and he lays his whole heart out before him. Uh, chapter 19, uh, verse 1 says, as soon as, the Hez- as soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. Well, that, brothers and sisters, is the response of a man who knows that his life is in the hands of the living God. You know, we say it every Sunday when we open the worship service, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, this is what it looks like when you believe that, you fall before his throne in the midst of unspeakable agony. Now, uh, God's first response to Hezekiah comes through the prophet Isaiah. You see that in chapter 19, verses 6 and 7. And God's response is to promise that the king of Assyria is going to hear a rumor uh, and return to his own land and eventually be killed there. Now, that doesn't all happen all at once. Uh, Isaiah is looking forward over the course of several months, if not several years. Uh, The relief does not come immediately. Now, the king of Assyria, sometime in the next days, did hear a rumor. Uh, He heard that the Egyptians were sending an army north towards Assyria. Uh, And and so he did order the Rabshakeh to withdraw from from Jerusalem. Uh, But the armies of of Assyria did not leave the land of Jerusalem or or of, of Judea. They stayed right there. They didn't, they didn't go away. Uh, and then the king of Assyria sends a second letter in verses 8 to 13. Uh, in this second letter, he makes it clear, we're not going anywhere. Uh, yes, we're going to respond to this thing from Egypt, but we're not going. Uh, as soon as we're done, we're going to be right back. Uh, and he reminds them again, there's not a nation on earth that's ever been able to resist us, and it certainly is not going to be the puny little nation of Judah. And again, you can only imagine how that kind of letter would have uh, spoken to, to Hezekiah. Uh, it was true. There wasn't a nation on earth that had ever successfully resisted Assyria. How was Jerusalem, with no army, going to be able to pull that off? As, as, as the Rabshakeh pointed out, uh, we could make a bet. We'll give you 2,000 free horses if you have the men to be able to sit on those horses uh, and actually use them. And, and Judah recognized, we don't. We don't have even 2,000 men. But again... You see the response of Hezekiah, the response of faith. He takes the letter, he goes again into the temple, to the house of God, and he spreads it before the Lord. I want to just read through his prayer again in verses 15 through 19, Hezekiah's prayer to God. It says there, Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, 
the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim. You are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. And hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Israel have laid waste the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods at all, but the works of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, save us from his hand. Uh, you can see that that, that prayer, uh, it breaks into three, three main pieces, and it tells us a lot about the heart of Hezekiah. First, there's praise. In the midst of that agony, in, in all that suffering, Hezekiah's first thing that he does when he comes in the temple of the Lord is praise the Lord God. He gives God the glory that God is due. Uh, he begins where every believer must begin, giving praise and glory to the God who deserves our praise and glory even in the worst of our afflictions. God still deserves it. Uh, it's the same faith as you see, for example, in, in, in Job, uh, who says, Though you slay me, yet I shall still praise you. That's where Hezekiah also begins. Uh, the next thing you see is an appeal to God, not immediately for help, but for God to hear the mockery of Sennacherib. So Hezekiah recognizes if God's going to get involved in this fight, God's going to do so for his honor in the first place. That's God's primary concern. Uh, It's not because Hezekiah doubts God's love for him, uh, but it's because Hezekiah recognizes the thing that matters to God more than anything else is God's own honor. And so he appeals not to the, the misery that he's in, but he appeals to the, the, the attack that's being made on the name of God. Uh, you see in, in that moment that Hezekiah recognizes uh, when his own life is on the line, uh, he, he, it's like he takes a step back and looks at, why am I here on this earth? Am I here just to live and survive? Or am I here for the glory and honor of the name of the Lord? And he he recognizes it is the latter. I'm here for God. And so if I'm going to pray for God's help, I'm going to pray for God, first of all, to uphold the honor of his own name. In other words, there's no safer place than on the side of the living God as he's acting for the honor of his own name. Uh, There's no safer place than on the side of God when God is acting for his own name's sake. And that's the place then to which Hezekiah runs. And then in the last part of of the prayer, uh, he, he says, Save us therefore, O Lord, from his hand, so that, not so that we may live, because that's your primary interest, O God, but he says, Save us so that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. Uh, what we want to recognize in that prayer, uh, as Hezekiah lays his heart bare before the Lord in the moment of, of greatest anguish, uh, is you see the conviction 
that shaped Hezekiah's life in times of prosperity, as God blessed him, as he followed the commandments of God, that same conviction comes out now in the moment of distress. Uh, the, the prayer uh, that, that Hezekiah prays is a prayer of faith that speaks to the very heart of God on whom he's been leaning his entire life. Uh, that's how it's always been. For Hezekiah, in times when, when, when times were good, and now when his life is on the line, and he expects even uh, to die. Uh, the prayer that comes from the heart of faith that God works uh, in those who love him is a prayer that is always, in good times and bad, enraptured with the glory and honor of God Himself. That's what it means to have a heart that's like the heart of David. You read the Psalms of David. What's David's first and foremost concern? It's always the honor and glory that God deserves. That's the prayer then that also comes out in in Hezekiah. A heart after God's heart is a heart that pursues what God pursues, uh, which is the honor of God's own name. Uh, and so, so this prayer then for, for Hezekiah is, this, is, is, a, is a glorious declaration. Even though his life might be threatened and he might pass away uh, in the next days, uh, he declares before God, God, whatever you choose to do, whether I live or die, I shall always be committed to your name. Uh, if God should save me, I will be used by you that all, so that all the nations of the earth will know that you are God. And if I should perish, then God, let your honor nonetheless be upheld. Act for your name's sake, not for mine. And God responds to that prayer. Uh, verse 22, God uh, responds through the prophet Isaiah concerning uh, Assyria. He says, Whom Assyria have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights against the Holy One of Israel? Now, we don't have the time to work through all the details of, of this prophecy in verses 20 through, through 34, that poetic section of, of, of chapter 19. Uh, but what it, what it comes down to is, is the declaration by God of His absolute sovereignty over the nation of Assyria. Uh, it, it's a promise for salvation for Judah, and it's a promise or a warning of, of destruction for uh, Assyria. Uh, in, in verses 22 to, to 27, uh, God then rebukes Assyria's arrogance and declares to Assyria, uh, in response to all the proclaiming from, from the Rabshakeh at the walls of Jerusalem and him saying, uh, what nation is there that has ever uh, withstood us? What God is there that has ever helped any nation uh, that we have uh, besieged? God now finally speaks back to uh, the Rabshakeh. Uh, and, and he tells them, you are nothing but a beast under the sovereign yoke of God. You're just an animal. You, you may be strong, but you are being led uh, by, by a bit, so to speak, by the very hand of God. Uh, God is about to do to you now what you have just done to others. It's like we sang in Psalm 2, Why do the nations madly rage and the peoples plot in vain? God sits in the heavens and mocks them. Uh, and in that mocking, as God is, is honoring His name and demeaning the Rabshakeh, in that response, there's also a promise of salvation for those who've trusted in the name of the Lord. Uh, 
Uh, he says the virgin daughter of Zion, verse 22. Uh, even though the, uh, so the picture is the godless nations are banging on this virgin daughter's door. They will not break in and take her. Uh, and so God also responds. Verse 35, uh, the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. Uh, now I want to take a momentary uh, excursus uh, right before we close and just talk about uh, the historical uh, element here. Uh, there might be some among us wondering, uh, did this really happen? You know, the, the, the mightiest nation on earth, uh, Assyria, uh, that, that really was the greatest power in the world. Uh, how in the world did they besiege Jerusalem and not take it? Uh, can we trust what scripture here reveals? Uh, Herodotus, a, a pagan Roman historian, he records a legend in Egypt uh, that sometime during these very years, there was a divine intervention uh, against uh, against Assyria that resulted in a massive Assyrian retreat from the whole uh, broader area. Now, we don't know, of course, uh, was, was uh, Herodotus referring to this event uh, or, or something else, but he does record this massive divine intervention. Uh, what's probably more interesting, though, is when you read the record of this battle uh, or, or this uh, siege from the perspective of the Assyrians. Now, the thing with the Assyrians is they only ever recorded their victories. They never recorded their defeats. So it's hard to uh, fill in the gaps of what happened in between. But what we do find in the Assyrian records, we, we have these records from Assyria, uh, Sennacherib records the following account. He says, As for the king of Judah, Hezekiah, who had not submitted to my authority, I besieged and captured 46 of his fortified cities, along with smaller towns taken in battle with my battering rams. I took as plunder 200,000 and 150 people, both small and great, male and female, along with a great number of animals, including horses, mules, donkeys, camels, oxen, and sheep. They love to talk about all the, this is all the things that we, we uh, got. Uh, as for Hezekiah, I shut him up like a caged bird in his royal city of Jerusalem. I constructed a series of fortresses around him, and I did not allow anyone to come out of the city gates. His towns which I captured, I gave to the kings of Ashod, Ekron, and Gaza. And that's where the record ends. What's really interesting is there is no mention of the conquest of Jerusalem. He besieged him. He did not succeed. Uh, you don't besiege a city in order to abandon it. You besiege it to conquer it. Uh, but he never did. And it's an amazing fact because, Assyri because Jerusalem, as, as the, the Rabshakeh pointed out, they had no army. They had no defense. Uh, something clearly happened so that Sennacherib ultimately left. And Sennacherib does not record what that was. Uh, what's more, the Assyrian annals do record the assassination of Sennacherib, as Isaiah had prophesied. Uh, he was assassinated by his own sons, Adramelech and Sherezer. Uh, there, too, the word of God prevailed. Uh, and here's the thing. When you read the boasting, you read the, the Assyrian annals, they're full, just full of boasting, boasting in their power, boasting in their gods, boasting in all their conquests uh, their, and all their greatness. But as we, as we look back on this chapter, uh, let me ask you, what has come 
of the Assyrian boasting. Where today do you find the, the, the multitudes praising the greatness and the might of Assyria? Uh, truly, as, as Psalm 103 reminds us, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like the flower of the field, and he's gone. Uh, so it was with Assyria. Or Psalm 92, though the wicked sprout like grass and all evildoers flourish, they are doomed to destruction. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Where are the multitudes today? Are they praising the Rabshakeh and their gods? Or are they praising the Lord, the God of Jerusalem, whom the Rabshakeh despised? The multitudes are here. They're in this church. They're in churches across the world today, singing the praises of Yahweh, the God of Hezekiah and his son, Jesus Christ. Surely that's a lesson to take home from this chapter. Uh, And and so as we look back uh, and we consider the faith of Hezekiah in that moment of trial when everything was on the line, uh, may we also be humbled, convicted, and encouraged and challenged by such faith. And as as we reflect on his faith, consider how his faith is only a foreshadowing of the faith of Christ himself. The the book of Hebrews reminds us uh, that that Christ himself is the author of the faith of all those that have gone before him. In other words, what you see in Hezekiah is a faith that Christ himself put there, that Christ was working in him. And and it's only a, a small foreshadowing of the faith of Christ himself. You think of Christ facing the cross, drawing near to an even greater agony than what Hezekiah was facing, and yet trusting that God, his Father, uh, would be his strength against all the forces of darkness that were arrayed against him, and confident that whatever God's will would be, he would nonetheless uh, still be uh, his strength. Uh, that's the faith of Christ. And here's the thing, having ascended into heaven, Christ also promises that that faith, he will also work now in us. Uh, What we see then in this chapter uh, is the kind of faith, not just that came before Christ and is perfectly pictured in Christ, but the kind of faith that Christ also promises to now work in us as we hope in him until the final day. Uh, so, we, as we look on this chapter, should cultivate that same faith. We, uh, like the people of Judah, according to the prophecy of, 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 of uh, Isaiah, should be digging our roots down and burying our fruit up as we rest in, in the deep soil of the Lord our God. Uh, Consider as well also the calling that is yours in this life uh, to, like Hezekiah, face the powers of darkness, uh, to to, uh, deal with the afflictions of sin and and the, 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 the attacks of Satan and to stand strong against them as they come against us in their own ways in our day. Uh, And brothers and sisters, let us also, like Hezekiah then, lean upon the strong arms of God, laying our concerns also before his holy throne and saying with Hezekiah, God is my strength and my portion forever. And praying with Hezekiah that whatever God may have in store for us, we too might be used by him in life or in death for the honor and glory of God's own name. Amen. Let's respond to the word of God by singing from Psalm 92, stanzas 1 through 7.